Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Horse Geeks podcast, where we look at horses and riding from the inside out. I'm Kirsten Nelson, professional horse trainer, and with me once again, basically my co-host, Deborah Merrow, <laughs> certified Alexander Technique Instructor. And today's topic is resilience. I'm not quite sure. It's definitely looking at things from the inside out when we talk about resilience. Mm. I debated a little bit about sort of calling it a lesson I learned from horses, um, which I have, like especially working with rescue horses. Horses' resilience is astounding. Their ability, they don't forget, but they really are willing to forgive and start over as soon as they find a better human or a better deal. Very that, adaptable compared to us sometimes, you know? Definitely adaptable. Much and I more think, adaptable than the human. I think that's what resilience means. Mm. Actually, I looked up the definition. There you so, go. Resilience, the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulty. And I would say horses wow. do that far better than humans in general. Mm-hmm. We tend to hold grudges much longer or live in the future, live in the past. Horses are sort of going in this moment. Do I feel safe? Do I feel comfortable? If they can check both of their boxes, then they're pretty good to go. Right. But anything. Am I safe? Am I comfortable? Yeah. What comes and to you? I say that to myself when I'm riding. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty is important. This, is this okay with me? Yeah. Is this trot okay with me? And if it's not, I have a choice. I don't have to keep thinking that if I do it longer, it's that mentality. Do it longer and it'll get better. No. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. <laughs> you could just get, go down into the you know what. So, yeah, that what is that about us? Uh, it's that mentality of, if one is good for you, two is better. Or, yeah, that it's. I don't know what that is. Um, or in the horse world, it, you hear a lot. It's like, don't let him, shh, don't let your horse know you're afraid. Take your horse to it, get over it, suck it up, Buttercup. It's like you know all of those. <laughs> I use that phrase a lot, actually. Suck it up. I do too. Buttercup. I used um, to be called the Nike mom because I always said, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my kids were on the junior Olympic team in karate here in Virginia. And I'd always say, just do it. Just shut up and do it. <laughs> yeah. But, and one of the synonyms for resilience was toughness. Hmm. But I go, toughness can take, it kind of conjures up a lot of different images in my uh -huh. mind. You know, toughness can be that sort of tough horse person who doesn't admit they're afraid, doesn't admit they're hurt, doesn't admit that they're nervous. And um, or it could be show them who's boss, you know, like I'm tough. I'm dumb. I'm tough. I'm dumb. We're your local <laughs> cult breakers. <laughs> Or that, that gives me the feeling of uh, feel the fear and do it anyway, you know? To, yes. 
And I'm wondering if that's like putting on a mask, you know, and, but we're sending all these energetic signals to our horses. Yeah, you can't put a mask you can't on cover with your that horse. up. Mm -mm. You can't cover that up. Not really. No, we think we can and our brain sort of tells us we can but the horse is always reading the energy that we're broadcasting. Exactly. And it's a broadcast. It's and it doesn't even have to be aimed at the horse. It, we can be thinking about something else entirely. Mm -hmm. But I go unstable energy because people will often ask, what's the difference between stable energy or unstable energy? I goes, well, what really makes us unstable is when we're incongruent. So if I don't admit that I'm having a moment of fear to my horse, <laughs> right, then my horse is going to see that dissonance in my energy that I'm not really in touch with how I feel. And that creates a sense of instability that we're broadcasting energetically to our horse, which is the main part of the conversation. So typically, I'll tell people that we know we're in stable energy because it has to do with any thought or emotion that feels good to us. Mm. And we know we're in unstable energy with those thoughts and emotions that don't feel good to us. But right. sometimes if we have those thoughts and emotions that don't necessarily feel good to us, if we're trying to pretend we don't have them, that makes the energy twice as unstable. If we sort of admit we're having them and maybe we take a pause, like we always talk about, we just pause what we're doing. Right. right? That we, don't... we have a choice. We don't have to always push through it. Right. Right. Yeah. Then at least we're minimizing that instability in our energy if we're kind of admitting it to ourselves and then doing what we need to do to stabilize our energy. That has nothing to do with how our horse behaves. We always mm -hmm. have a choice to get off, to end the session, to turn around and go back, to make a bunch of different choices even if our horse is not cooperating. Right. Like yeah. we need to do what we need to do to stabilize our own energy mm. in order to not only feel safe, but have um, a clearer communication with our horse. And I think going back to resilience is that, that um, adaptability in that, immediate situation I know with um, the case study horse that I worked with the owner has become very aware of how her horse is responding to something and adapts much more quickly say you know oh I got him out there and he was a little bit up so I decided to do long lining you know just to be able maybe as one of my Alexander teachers used to say, have a goal or a plan, but be aware of what the student horse, whatever brings to the situation that you may have to go with. Yeah. To adapt. Like I have, I'm starting at point A, I have a destination point, point B, that's my goal. But sometimes I have no idea, just like, if we're actually traveling somewhere, if we get a weather delay, if we get a flat tire, 
if we forget something and have to go back, right? It's never always just a straight line from point A to point B. We have to adapt and adjust all the time, right? And we're never quite sure. We know we're going to get there, but we're never quite exactly sure what's going to come up along the way. And that to right. me is resilience is really the ability to handle those hiccups or challenges or unplanned, unforeseen challenges and not let it derail completely from getting to point B. Like mm. that ability to come back, refocus, no matter what the interruption was, is resilience. And that's something that really has to come from the inside of us and from the inside of our horse. So when we try to make our horse do it and the energy is already up, the horse is already sort of telling mm. us, I'm not comfortable or I don't feel quite safe. And that energy level is even shifting towards anxiety or increased tension. If we just keep sort of shoving our way to point B, either we're asking our horse to be more resilient than we are, which some horses right. will do, or we're going to be disappointed in the outcome because we're not getting there with our horse together. And it, it may even, what I was started thinking about as an Alexander teacher is I'm wondering if a lot of people do not have the tools to adapt. That's I'm, that's what keeps me in business. A lot of people don't have the tools to adapt. <laughs> <laughs> we have to learn them. Me in business. I love it. <laughs> because I was just thinking that if you don't have tools to even acknowledge, <clears throat> let's say it's just in the physical sense, I'm going to ask my horse to turn I've been noticing this about me, turn to the left. I can all, when that thought comes in my mind, I can already feel contraction in my left arm. Interesting. And I'm like, ah, oh, why are you doing that? That's my day, what I do. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little to yourself. Yeah. To myself. Um, but I, I, because in the asking <laughs> of, a maneuver, let's say, on a horse, am I really thinking about how how resilient I am being in the asking? Exactly, because our brain yeah. likes to think there's one way to do anything. There's a shortcut, just do it. Right, there's a shortcut <laughs> or there's only one way that we've habituated right. in our nervous system. And I think when things are going sideways, Asking ourselves, is there another way I could get towards point B, right? If my car breaks down, am I willing to walk there? Is it that important, right? Or if I get a flat tire, can I change the tire or do I have to wait for help, right? All of those things are just unique and in the moment, and even giving aids, communicating to our horse or trying to teach our horse, say something complicated, like a flying lead change. I go, okay, what part of the flying lead change is not easy for my horse? Where or could I navigate it this way? Could I navigate it that way? 
And rather than just trying to get harder and firmer and make the horse do it, we might consider, well, I only learned one way to teach my horse a flying lead change. Good point. And I go, even from a training perspective, there's about a thousand ways to teach a horse a flying lead change. There's not one way. And it right. all depends on how that horse is responding in the moment. And so I think resilience for us mm -hmm. is really rethinking if our horse is not responding the way we were hoping, right? how could we change exactly what we're doing? Right. Rather than expecting our horse to change to our yeah. way of thinking, we could actually use that skill <clears throat> of withstanding the problem. So the definition, again, is the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulty. And I think that's why you always talk about the pause. Like mm -hmm. the pause is that moment that allows us to recover from difficulty or maybe rethink mm -hmm. what we're doing or how we're doing it. And that's yeah. where resilience lives, mm -hmm. is in so. that moment. Yeah. Just pausing and, and asking, is there another way? Or like what I do is, am I still, when I'm doing transitions, are all my joints open and available? And if they're not, then I'm, I've shut down somewhere. So then it, makes it more difficult for the horse. So yes. I usually break down to walk going, I, I can't keep up. <laughs> Instead of locking and freezing. To, and hoping you get it. <laughs> and hoping I get it. It's like, that's not going to work. <laughs> Why don't I just take a pause and redo it? And, you know, it's kind of like the difference between, to me, maybe this is too simple, quality and quantity. You know, I think that's not, you too know, simple. if I'm losing the quality of the thought, the movement more is not necessarily going to make it better. Exactly. More the same way. Well, and it's sort of like our conversation about lunging in the last episode was maintain gait will be done if you put enough pressure on a horse. Right. But horses naturally want to make a downward transition if they lose stability, if they lose balance, if they lose comfort, if they lose self-confidence. Slowing down is what most horses will choose given the option. So when we punish a horse for making a downward transition before we ask on a lunge line, you literally are reinforcing poor habits of movement. Mm -hmm. So I go, maintain gait, maintain direction only gives you main maintenance of crappy movement. It right. doesn't necessarily enhance the quality of the movement. That requires multiple transitions. And I that takes me back to Alexander's school, that, uh, that pause and the choice to do it or not do it. Because if we can just stop the thought between... I'm going to trot and trot and have a pause in there. Cause what I see with people is you say, okay, let's look at taking a trot and you can, they're already in trot mode and the horse is like, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Yeah. <laughs> Happens so, all the time. Yeah. It's that, that's what is really 
investigated in Alexander School is you approach a chair and you have a choice to sit in it well or don't sit in it. Yeah, or about a million ways you could sit in it Mm -hmm. or decide not to sit in it, choose a different chair. I mean, there's always sort of these options available to us if we're just being aware, self-aware. Right. I want to talk a little bit about resilience in horses because in training, and I used to do this myself, if my horse is afraid of plastic bags, then the idea is like of flooding or desensitization. I'm going to keep exposing my horse to this plastic bag until they realize it's not a problem. And so in a sense, most of the time what that entails is escalating the fear in our horse, Mm. hoping they get over it. And I don't like that approach. It was Mm. sort of by accident, but while I was busy focused on getting my horse into the learning frame of mind, which means in the easiest way possible, I want to encourage my horse to shift into dominance of the parasympathetic nervous system. I don't care how I get there. I want to get there the quickest, which means less complicated, usually gets the horse to shift nervous systems faster. And if I focus on helping my horse find and maintain a parasympathetic state and feel comfortable as I'm change, helping guide the coordination towards a more mechanical ideal in the way that the horse can accept and doesn't increase defensiveness, then just by focusing on those two things, I started to notice But all this other, like each horse would come into training with a list of things the owner wanted fixed or a list of things the horse can't do, has to do, can't do, and here's what I want fixed, right? Wow. And I found myself really not ever having to address those issues in a direct way. Mm -hmm. And most people think training is a direct counterbalance to a problem. And I went, if I focused on my horse feeling safe with me, which means no matter what we're doing, simple or complex, my horse is dominant in the parasympathetic nervous system, right? And is my horse comfortable? I might have to pause or break down the movement when my horse gives me escalating defensiveness. That's my horse telling me I'm not comfortable right? Or more resistance, heavy to the aids. All of that is how the horse, how our horses tell us, I either don't feel safe and or I don't feel comfortable in my body, in my movement. Mm -hmm. And so if we listen to our horse, those two things, suddenly these horses that were in training with a laundry list of problems, they just didn't have those problems. I never addressed it directly. So like, for example, because it's not about that. <laughs> it wasn't about that. It was it's like, not about that in people either. It's not about that. Right. So it's helping... having the tools to adapt to that. Yeah. Or just helping a horse feel safe with me and feel comfortable while working with me, no matter what we were doing. Right. From picking up the feet to canter transitions under saddle for the first time. 
it didn't matter what we were doing. But the more I focused on those two things, all these other problems just sorted themselves out. And I realized the horse became resilient, able to get through those trigger moments, able to handle more challenges, able to recover faster when fear was triggered because the emphasis of the work was on helping the horse feel safe and comfortable. So I didn't have to do any desensitization work. Mm. I didn't have to repeat something a gazillion times, hoping the horse would get it. So like, for example, one horse is a really bad habit when she came in training of running in and out of the stall to the point Mm. that she would just flatten somebody who was in her way. And so years and years ago, the training I understood, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, was I would repeat going through the stall door until the horse relaxed. That seems like the most obvious solution to an obvious problem. I didn't do that. Such a predatory way to do things. (laughs) Or it's actually kind of inefficient in hindsight. So instead, I just spent a lot of time with this mare helping her reduce. She's a highly anxious horse. Go, go, go. Always feels unsafe. Always on a hair trigger for fear. Mm -hmm. So the first two weeks she was in training, we didn't do much. We worked a lot at halt. We did a lot of stuff on the ground. She had to go in and out of the stall twice a day to get from the stall to turn out and turn out back to the stall. So I go, well, she'll have to do that every day anyways. Right. So all I did was her most anxious moment was first thing in the morning coming out and going back in the stall from turnout back into the stall. So in those moments, I literally just paused for about a minute Mm -hmm. and just said, "Okay, let's put our thinking cap on and do the best we can going through the stall door. And that was it. That was the only direct addressing I ever did regarding that problem of rushing through the stall door. But working her every day with the emphasis on the other two ideas, can you just feel safe enough to calm down no matter what we're doing? Mm -hmm. Can you choose halt instead of running like an orangutan? And the more (laughs) I sort of encouraged that, the stall just became a non-issue. Right. With no more than one minute of pause going in or out every day, because we had to do it anyways. Yeah, and and I think that applies to people, too. If you're internally feeling safe. um, You're more resilient. You're more resilient. You can adapt. But if you don't feel safe, if you feel threatened, even on the inside, because of your lack, the organization of the body, resilience is out the window. (laughs) Yeah. So I think being chronically in the sympathetic nervous system, whether it's people or horses, I agree. That is actually what makes us less resilient because we're always sort of on guard. We're always feeling ready for the shoe to drop. And so nothing goes well. Hmm. Well, we're just not supporting good energy around us, you know, I mean, if we're in that state constantly. Yeah. So as humans, we have a far greater capacity of choice 
we can choose to go take a time out. We can, you know, sort of choose, even if we have a super busy day, super busy life, and we're under pressure, we can also start to look for moments where we take that pressure off of ourselves. Or we take a pause yeah. and we go, do I have to get this done this quickly? And if the answer is yes, okay, we do the best we can. But That's, sometimes yeah. the answer is no, we just think we have to do it quickly. Right. Or we think we always have to be busy. Yeah. And what does that mean? You know, busy. I don't know. I don't, it's like with horse training. If the horse isn't trotting and cantering and going sideways, then we're not training with air quotes. Right. I'm sure my neighbors think <clears throat> I'm crazy when they see me ride. <laughs> it's like, she's just walking. Just what is walking she doing? Around. Yeah. But yeah. I think resilience comes out of, for us, <clears throat> the self-care that we need. Right. To just get out of that like low level chronic stress feeling, right? Taking a break from fight and flight so that we just absorb that feeling of going, oh, you know what? I'm safe right now. And the more we feel safe and comfortable, the more resilient we become. Because it, whether we're training ourselves or our horses, I go, we're not going to prepare our horse as especially with desensitization for every possible thing on this world. I go, oh. there's no way I've, <clears throat> I've had to go on trails with horses where I've had hot air balloons actually come into my horse's pasture or over yep. my horse's pasture and land. I go, there's bikes. There's people who are thoughtful and people who are thoughtless. I go, there's people yep. who, gun the motorcycle because you're on a horse and they think it's funny. And there's people who, you know, I've had to share trails with dirt bikes and bicycles and all kinds of things. And there's no way I can prepare my horse through desensitization to handle whatever life's going to possibly throw at us. But I can help I, my horse yeah. become more resilient. Right? Within themselves. I think that's what's important. It's not... It's not the outside stimulus that matters. It's the what's going on on the inside. Yeah. That resilience and adaptation. Can we acquire that ourselves? Or especially when we're working with another human or a horse, are we maintaining our own inner resilience? Or are we so focused on the activity or the horse that we're losing our own safety net resilience. And that's what gets us into that. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> why didn't, why did that happen? Yeah. When there was probably, if we were in that resilience of adapting and being available to information, we would have felt it. You get a little Stri warning. Mm -hmm. before, Yeah, we'd get a little, just a little, it might be something like what we would call a little tick, <laughs> an yeah. ear, or just a, going into a little bit of extension or a blow or, you know, it's all there. You mean the horse communicating with us? Yeah, yeah, yes. it's there. Yeah. 
Yeah, and each time we help our horse recover from a moment of fear or a fear trigger and actually feel calm again and safe, it's not pushing the horse into this exposure, hoping that they get it. It's actually the exposure happens, the fear trigger happens, mm -hmm. and if we help our horse recover from that fear, that's how we build resilience not pushing yeah. them towards fear, right? All right. that's going to do is increase anxiety and tension. But when something, and I joke, but it, I'm serious when I say anytime the horse shows me a defensive behavior, <clears throat> an escalation of energy, or reacts to a fear trigger, I go, boom, there's my training opportunity. Right. Because right it's, then and there yeah. is where I can help my horse learn to be resilient by recovering a sense of safety, not having yeah. to feel defensive. And that takes <clears throat> a real change within us of saying, oh, this is a training opportunity instead of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. To say, to, to be that adaptable and resilient ourselves to go, oh, well, let's take that because that micro thing is what is happening going in and out of the stall door. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I go, I, I don't have to buy tarps and flags and pool noodles <laughs> and set up these contraptions to teach my horse to be resilient. <laughs> I go, my neighbors come up with plenty of challenges <laughs> while I'm riding <laughs> or somebody going down the street, things I can't predict. Oh right? Like sometimes it was the the lady who just had a baby, all of a sudden the baby stroller. Whoa, that triggered my horses, right? Yep. Or kid on a skateboard all of a sudden, or those little vehicles that are like for children to drive, but they're powered. It's like a little tiny Jeep. Those things are right, so loud, right? right? Or <laughs> The sirens that go by or the, you know, it's like the world around you is going to constantly create training opportunities. We do not have to go looking for them with a horse. I agree. I agree. I think that just heightens it when we think that going to that obstacle course day or desensitization day, because that puts a lot of it's a lot at once. It's a lot at once. I mean, I, it, it's like I say about horses and people, you know, it sounds good for you to haul your horse to the vet, but you're going to have other problems <laughs> Yeah. than maybe the problem you were dealing with at home. Well, and I've never seen at a desensitization clinic two things that just triggered my one of my reliable horses recently big fear reaction was toddler in a tutu next door <laughs> floppy floppy little it. tutu <laughs> and then i go who would have thought of that right or yeah. my cat who's in all my videos who loves to be out there working while i'm working horses or supervising finally almost caught a squirrel Oh, so there's cat, cat catching cat being predator in a pile of dry magnolia leaves. Oh, great. That makes a lot of weird noise, yeah. right? 
cat, squirrel screaming, tussle, 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 and all of these dried leaves crackling like crazy. Again, not something we could have prepared for. Right. But it happened. But I was very proud this horse that used to blow up out of control. We would have been back at the barn if that had happened a few years ago. He sort of turned, spooked in place, got really high energy, but I was able to just gently sort of redirect his focus and go, it's just the cat, we're fine, big noise. And he was able to come back. So that resiliency, um, which is exactly what that was in that moment from my horse, was not because of any desensitization work I ever did with him. We never work on that kind of thing. Right. There's plenty of stuff he's going to react to. And all of those are training opportunities. But he was able to deal with that moment. And it happened behind his tail, which made it even worse, right? So he kind of took a jump forward, spun around. I stayed on. We looked at it. And then I was able to just sort of redirect his mind, turn him with the rain. And within a minute or two, we were back doing what we were doing. No big deal. That's a really good example of the resilience that comes when we're helping our horse always feel safe as a priority rather than challenging our horse, right? Going, I'm going to make you feel so unsafe until you just get over it. I go, that's Mm. just not a great relationship builder. Because that, I think we talked about, uh, maybe we need to talk about it more, is the flight freeze fawn because I would think if they constantly get that stimulus they 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 go into fawn or freeze because they're not being allowed you know to be safe so they shut down yeah because of this overstimulation of a negative thing yeah so like fight and flight are usually the first layers of defensiveness But freezing, which is no movement and then explosive movement or fawning, which is movement in order to please another. Mm -hmm. Those are sort of the more complicated versions of defensive behavior. That fawning then would be like that push through, just push them through it. Yeah. Or fawning is in human terms, it's um, what people do in abusive situations so it's the okay walking on eggshells placating trying not to disturb um sort of it and it's a blend of anxiety and tension Mm -hmm. it's not just anxiety it's not just tension and in horses a lot of people call that push button training you know, I was where, wondering if you were going to come up with something like that. Yeah, yeah. because you're he's looking at a, a horse. He's a husband horse. <laughs> which usually what we mean by that <laughs> is the horse is so dull, you can do whatever you want and the horse won't react. Right. right? That's a horse that's sort of shut down, which is a fawning response. They just sort of go, do whatever. I give up. Or horses that like my horse who was highly trained in dressage if i moved my leg one inch or 
use the rain a certain way, he sort of threw his body into one dressage movement after another, thinking that's what I wanted. And some people call that training because they call it a push button horse. You just give the aid and the horse executes the maneuver without you. And I go, oh, that to me is anxiety. It's the horse going, do you want this? Do you want that? Do you want this? Do you want that? And that's actually a defensive response from a horse. It's fear-based. So I don't want to go too much into the weeds on that, but it's those exact horses. Like people will mistake their horse freezing for just being at halt. And then all of a sudden the horse blows up. They go from halt to blow up, either bolting or bucking or rearing or whatever. Right. But that um, freezing is also a blend of tension and anxiety that's a little bit under the surface. We have to look Mm -hmm. hard to see it. And fawning is a blend of tension and anxiety in order to sort of get by, get through it, endure it, or try to placate the other in order not to be punished or have more pain. And so that those are more complicated versions of defensive behavior, but not, unfortunately, all that uncommon in the horse world with horses. I agree. And those horses are on such a hair trigger. They have zero resilience. They have no ability to adapt to any change in the environment, or anything unexpected, because they rarely feel entirely safe, especially with us or on a daily basis. So it doesn't take much. And unfortunately, those are some of the situations where people go, oh, you just need one of those desensitizing clinics. Right? (laughs) And I go, that it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like the way to help that horse feel safer is to take pressure off of them, not add more pressure. Mm-hmm. So resilience comes because either we feel safe most of the time and then we life gives us a hiccup, but we come back from it. And right. training, like the other thing that sort of irritates me is when people expect a trained horse to also be problem free, no matter what you do. Wow. And I go, that to me is just crazy talk. I go, a horse is a horse. And no matter how well-trained the horse is, they're still a prey animal. They still are going to be sensitive to the environment and changes in the environment. And if they feel safe with you as a herd member, that's what makes them resilient. Otherwise, I go, the relationship between a person and a horse or horse and rider is so dynamic I can't possibly prepare a horse for everything somebody other than me is going to do. Right. I go, that's That's between you and the horse. And, And so that's where I think we both agree on this, that the education has to be to both horse and rider. You know, yeah. re-educating, re- what is resilience? Does the human have the tools to pause, check in with themselves, seeing I'm thinking, correct me if I'm wrong, they're a big part of the component 
of this whole relationship equation. I don't think we look at that. (laughs) We don't look at that first. Mm -hmm. We always go, it's the horse. We've got to fix the horse. No, and we are literally half of the equation for success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where I always look at myself first, say, um, for instance, like you said, a horse that doesn't want to go forward. Well, could we use that as a training opportunity to start checking in with ourselves? Well, what am I contributing to that? Mm-hmm. What do I need to change to make the horse feel more comfortable to go forward? Absolutely. I actually had yeah. that come up twice last week, just that very thing. And Right. Um, I think with riders, when I'm working with riders to sort of do the relationship therapy between a rider and their horse. <laughs> they, they don't pay us enough. I go, we just have to, <laughs> what makes our us resilient <laughs> is not that, because the other side of, of not blaming the horse is also not taking 100% responsibility on us. Right. Right. So the horse is the horse. How the horse responds has nothing to do with us. What does have to do with us is how we either help our horse recover from that unwanted response or learn something new if our horse isn't responding the way we want, Mm -hmm. rather than taking all the blame or giving all the blame. Right. I go, it's our horse is going to respond as an individual to whatever the world throws at us. Right. I, I have no control over that. What I do have control over is how I choose to respond, mm-hmm. how I either help my horse or participate in making it worse. Right. So if I want my horse to be able to handle unforeseen situations or a lot of stimulation, like say, trail rides and showgrounds and parades and things like that, I have to build a lot a lot of resilience into my horse and then we can deal with whatever life throws at us. I so I, I increase the resilience of the horse, the more often my horse feels safe, is actually in a parasympathetic state and feels comfortable inside their own skin doing the job we're doing. Right. I go, that's what allows the horse to then be resilient enough to cope with. The the coping skills come in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The unexpected, the unforeseen, or even cope with the old issue in a new way. Yeah. Yeah. I see you both of us see that a lot in trailer loading. You know, it's, it's not about the trailer. It's not about going in and out of the stall. Yeah. Those are. Or it's not about achieving the lead change. Are you getting the lead change, but are you getting the lead change, but creating fear or discomfort in the process? Then you're just, Mm -hmm. you may think you trained your horse to do a lead change, but the training doesn't stick because what the horse remembers is feeling unsafe or feeling uncomfortable, right? Right. So then we have to repeat it endlessly or it's not there in the middle of our competition and we go, why, 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 why? Why? (laughs) Do it at X. Yeah. 
And so it's one of those things that anytime we're perpetuating what we call training at the expense of our horse feeling right. safe and comfortable, I go, then you're not really training. You're sort of spinning your wheels. Good luck with that. Hope it works. Mm -hmm. Eventually, your horse might figure it out. Right. Okay. But if we're always looking at new skill development or doing something new while our horse is feeling safe, while, as, helping our horse find as much comfort as possible, mm -hmm. right? Those two things absolutely help our horse think through the challenge rather than just reacting to the challenge. I think you brought up a really good point. Um because my case study horse moved to a new barn. And this new barn has sheep, cows, <laughs> geese, chickens, a pack of dogs, probably six dogs. And it was really cool. But when he first came into the arena and the sheep came up, you know, his coping skills were not that great. Yeah. <laughs> but... I think what he is, because he's getting into self-carriage and resilient, he's chosen to, that that's, that's not worth my energy to get upset about all the time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and as long as there, the cows are there. Yeah. And that's what people yeah. sort of lead. And it's the great to, to see it. Out. It's great to see him. Yeah, it's and so now when he goes in the arena, instead of spooking at the sheep, he's like, where are the, where are the sheep? Where are yeah. they? Yeah. <laughs> no, and I had once I had a, a neighbor who moved in and uh, brought a pig. And my horses rarely see pigs. Uh, one of my horses, I he got so scared, I thought he was going to faint. Like oh, wow. I, if, if a horse could faint, this horse would have fainted when he smelled the pig <laughs> and saw this pig move in next door over the fence. And it took a week of sort of helping him as best I could. But it was like his stall was not far from that pig and there was no <laughs> relief. Right. There was no sort of relief from this new stimulus in his life. And that actually made it take longer for him to calm down. Because he couldn't escape. He couldn't escape the smell, the sight of it. Right. It was a constant stimulus. Constant, constant stimulus. Yeah. So it actually. Yeah, that makes sense. Took a week and I would work with him as often as I could. But the rest of the day, I'm like, you're on your own. I'm sorry. At least the other horse with him wasn't reacting. So I go. Right. Hopefully you can deal with this without colicking or having an ulcer. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and that's the other side effect of chronic stress is I go, we're going to have some major vet bills when well, we allow chronic stress. And so finally, my horse settled down, started to get used to the pig. And then it was about a month later, the pig tried to come through the fence, right? <laughs> And it took some doing this, you know, pig was trying to get through the free three board fence and there was a spot where he could kind of dig under it and come mm -hmm. in. And I'm watching this pig trying to come into my property and I'm like, Ooh, 
I was riding a different horse and I go, I might have to get off and go get that horse that was loose at the time, but super fearful of the pig. All of a sudden that loose horse saw the pig and went after it. Ah, and because he had space. He had finally, he still mm -hmm. obviously was a bit defensive about the pig because he went at it with front legs stomping and flying. <laughs> and that pig made it right back under the fence, quick That's as could be. Funny. But I go, okay, we've had a full reversal of fear expression from yep. flight to fight. Yep. And, and over time, it worked out. But I really, I think it was a good example of like what we call flooding, <clears throat> this pig, I had no control. I couldn't remove the pig. I couldn't remove right. my horse from the pig. And it was a week of stress. It wasn't an hour. It was a week. And that to me is spiking up that fear anxiety that high. It takes much longer. So the sacking right. out, the flooding, the desensitization clinics, mm -hmm. I go, it just perpetuates fear more than it actually helps. And I, you know, what it brings back to me is it creates a false safety for the human. Yeah, because makes the human yeah. feel better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And but it's not real. That safety is less. Well, especially and if you as the human were the one dragging or pushing right. our horse towards the fear. All that does is make our horse think that we have very poor judgment. Instead of keeping the herd right. safe, we're taking the herd to danger, which from a horse's perspective makes no sense whatsoever. So right. we sort of break that trust with our horse when mm -hmm. we do that. Instead of them looking at us like, the provider of safety, mm -hmm. we are the problem. We, right. we are the problem. We are the one that they want to get away from. We're the one not to be trusted. We're the one that, you know, is exactly. causing the problem. And that yeah. can even be, un that can even be true. Like you said, if our horse doesn't go forward, the number one thing people do is start using more leg pressure or kicking harder or getting spurs, or using the whip, or driving with the seat, right? Right. Go, if you don't pause and go, why doesn't my horse want to go forward? Exactly. I go, your horse isn't choosing to go forward either because your horse doesn't feel safe, or your horse doesn't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if your horse is calm and not going forward, it's a comfort issue. So creating pain to get the forward doesn't really resolve the root cause, which is a lack of comfort. You're just adding pain to discomfort. And right. then the horse goes, yeah, as soon as you stop, I stop. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> yes. So I think just to reiterate one more time, because I really see horses especially when they come, when I worked with rescue horses, one of the things that really surprised me was how resilient horses are about letting go of past abuse, past hurt, past pain, past discomfort. As soon as we start to 
focus our efforts towards helping the horse feel safe and feel comfortable, it's we don't have to go back and retrain them necessarily. I go, all the other training is in there, you know, learning how to do a lead change or being ridden or right. whatever we do with them. But you can't access any learned skills as long as fear is in the way or discomfort is in the way. Mm -hmm. As soon as you work on removing those two blocks, either the problem goes away, the training comes back if they ever were trained to do something, and the relationship starts. Mm -hmm. I go because we provided what they need, safety and comfort. Yeah. And to watch horses bounce back far Wait, that's faster. That's the resilience, far faster than humans. Yeah. Humans take years of therapy and then they bounce back. But I go, horses, pretty much a new deal. If it's a good deal, I'm ready to start over. Yep. I agree. And I've learned a lot about being adaptable and resilient from watching horses do that, that have no reason to do it at all. Exactly. They have no reason to ever trust or work cooperatively with another human. And yet they right. do. Yeah. Good point. Yep. So we can learn a fair bit about resilience from our horses. So resilience all over the place. One more time. Yeah. The definition is the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll leave you guys with that. We'll yes. leave you guys with that. I think that's enough for this episode. Thanks again for joining us for another Horse Geeks podcast. And we really hope from our hearts that you horse owners out there and horse lovers are taking some of this information and putting it to the test and finding it useful in your own way with your own horse. That would make us very happy. Yes. Yes, it would. Yes. Let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Comments. Um, and I think Deb's in every episode in the show notes on the podcast or on the YouTube under more, Deb's um, website and my website are always listed. If you have questions or want to make comments, and especially if you're not on YouTube, and you have questions or comments. Yep. Thanks again for joining us. And thanks we, everybody. Yep. Look forward to seeing you again. Bye. Bye.